Welcome to the Daily Office Lectionary. I'm Father Reed. Today we're going to look at scriptures from proper six. Proper six. And we're going to start something beginning this week that's going to continue for several weeks. Several weeks. We are in the summertime and now we are studying books of the Bible in great detail. And so those of you that uh, do the, the uh, read, uh, do, uh, pray over, uh, listen to the daily lectionary scriptures, read the daily lectionary scriptures, you, you're going to read a tremendous amount of scripture. And it's going to go through not all of the scriptures, not all of the texts in the Bible, but a very large part of it. And so what I mean by what I just said, we're going to be looking at 1 Samuel, Acts, and a continuation of Luke. And we're going to be in Acts for quite a long time. And we're going to go from 1 Samuel to 2 Samuel. And that's going to take quite a long time also. So get yourself ready. We're going to look at the book of Samuel and the book of Acts and the book of Luke. Now, if you look at your Bible, you will see that we have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That is the Pentateuch. Then we go to the history books. So we have Joshua, who's going to take them into the land. Then once they've entered the land, they're going to divide the land among the 12 tribes. And that is going to be judges, but God's going to have to raise up judges. And then we go into the book of Ruth, which is important because it's going to tie into the Davidic kingdom, into David's line. And then we go into 1 Samuel. It would be 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles. Okay. Let's begin in chapter 1. It's a good place to start, the first chapter. And we're going to talk about the birth of Samuel. Now, Samuel is, turns out to be a very, very, very important person in the Old Testament. Very important person in the Bible. He is a precursor to Saul, David, and Solomon. Saul, David, and Solomon were kings, were the kings of Israel before the kingdom split up between the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. But the last great man before the kingship began under Saul was the great Samuel. Now, the first chapter is about his birth. And Hannah, her, his mother, was barren. In verse 6, the Lord had closed her womb. And she began to pray that the Lord would open her womb. And so she poured out her soul to the Lord. And she prayed that the Lord would open her womb. Because the only way that now she could have children is if the Lord did, in fact, do that. It's an amazing prayer that she's praying. And guess what? In verse 19, right at the end, the Lord remembered her. The Lord granted her request. And Samuel was born. And Hannah dedicated Samuel to the Lord. Now, perhaps many of you have dedicated your child to the Lord. You have offered him or her to the Lord. You have offered him or her to God to be used for his honor and glory. And certainly you've prayed for your child to know the Lord. I prayed for this child, verse 27 of chapter 1, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life, he will give, be given over to the Lord. Now, And then she worshiped the Lord. And isn't that amazing? 
Her womb is closed. The Lord opens. The Lord remembered her. The Lord granted her request. She worshiped God. She's offering her son to the Lord. In chapter 2, she praises the Lord. There's no one holy like the Lord. Verse 2 of chapter 2, there's no one beside you, God. There is no rock like our God. God is the one that knows. He's humble and he calls. Verse 7, he will guard the feet of his saints. Verse 9 of chapter 2, but the wicked will be silenced in darkness. So he's going to bless his people. Remember Deuteronomy chapter 30, what we talked about last week? Life, death, choose life. Hannah goes toward life, prays, seeks the Lord, bows down before him, asks for a miracle, if you will, and then praises him. We go to chapter 2, 12 to 26. Now, Eli's sons were wicked. Sadly, they had no regard for the Lord. Now, it was the practice of the priests with the people, verse 12, that whenever anyone offered a sacrifice while the meat was being boiled, the servant of the priest would come with a three-pronged fork in his hand. And then he tells you what he would do. And then he says in verse 17, This sin of the young men was very great in the Lord's sight, for they, were treated, they treated the Lord's offering with contempt. There is a way when you read this in chapter 2, 12 following, that there's a way to handle the Lord and the offerings before the Lord, and they go to the Lord. If you do not do it in the proper way, the Lord is not going to be happy with that. And one must do it in the proper way. Okay? Now, Samuel was ministering before the Lord in verse 18. And it says, he grew up in the presence of the Lord. So he was a very powerful person, and he grew up with the Lord. He was dedicated unto the Lord. His mother prayed for him. And he was present before God and grew up in that, and that helped him considerably. Now, Eli was very old. He heard about everything his sons were doing to all Israel and how they slept with the women who served at the entrance of the tent of meeting. He says, why do you do such things? Why are you doing evil things? Eli was a godly man, and his sons were acting in an ungodly way. His sons did not listen to their father's rebuke in verse 25 for it was the Lord's will to put them to death. Now, for those of us that have children, and the children do not come out the way we want them to, and they do not listen to us, they do not listen to the father or the mother's rebuke, that, is, that sometimes happens. So in Hannah's case, she offered him to the Lord, she prayed, she worshiped the Lord, she thanked God for him, and he grew up in the Lord and followed the Lord. Eli, I'm sure, prayed for his sons, but his sons did not follow the Lord and did not listen to the rebuke of, of their father. And the boy Samuel, verse 26, continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord and with man. Now, in the second half, or the last half, I should say, of chapter 2, we find the prophecy against the house of Eli. Therefore, verse 30, the Lord, the God of Israel declares, I promise that your house and your father's house would minister before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me, those who honor me, I will honor, but those who despise me will be disdained. You're, not, you're despising me. You're not honoring me. 
I'm going to bless you and I'll bless your line if you honor me, but if you don't honor me, I can't do that. The time is coming when I will cut short your strength and the strength of your father's house so there will not be an old man and in your follow, uh, family line and you would see distress in my dwelling. And what happens to your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, will be assigned to you. They will both die on the same day. So the Lord is telling them what's going to happen before they die. I will raise up for myself a faithful priest, what eventually is going to be Samuel, who will do according to what is in my heart and mind. I will firmly establish his house, and he will minister before my anointed one always. So the Lord calls Samuel in chapter 3. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. The lamp of the Lord had not gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple, verse 3 of chapter 3, where the ark of the God was. So he's right next to the ark. He's in the temple, Samuel is. And the Lord called Samuel. Here I am. He ran to Eli. Here I am. You called me? And Eli said, I didn't call you. Go back and lie down. The Lord called Samuel. Samuel got up, went to Eli and said, here I am. You called me? My son, I did not call you. Go back and lie down. Now, Samuel did not know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not been revealed to him. We need the revelation of God and his word in order to hear the revelation. We need him to open our mind up. That did not happen. He called him the third time. Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. Eli realized that the Lord was calling. He said, Go and lie down. And if he calls you, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And that's exactly what happened. Samuel, Samuel, Samuel said, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Verse 10 of chapter 3. Verse 10 of chapter 3. And the Lord said to Samuel, See, I'm about to do something in Israel that make, will make the ears of everyone who hears of it tingle. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I've spoken against his family. For I told them that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons made themselves contemptible, and he failed to restrain them. He held Eli responsible for failing to restrain his sons. The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up. Verse 19, he would let none of his words fall to the ground. And all of Israel from Dan to Beersheba recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. And the, Samuel's word came to all of Israel. And so Samuel became the great tool that God is going to use to restore the people after the sad work of Eli and the sad eventual outcome of his sons. Here we have the capture of the ark in chapter 4, 1 through 11. They captured the ark, and this was a terrible thing. Chapter 11, chapter 4, verse 11. The ark of God was captured, and Eli's two sons, Ophni and Phinehas, died. Look at verse 10. The Philistines fought, the Israelites were defeated, and every man fled to his tent. The slaughter was very great. Israel lost 30,000 foot soldiers, and they captured the ark. Can't get any worse than that, folks. This is terrible, terrible news. 
And as prophesied, Eli's two sons, Hophnius and Phineas, died. And we'll pick that up in chapter second half of chapter 4 next week. What we see here is the call of God on someone's life and sadly, oppositely, the failure of Eli to train his sons and for his sons to respond to Eli. They failed to respond to his word. And because of that, there was um, tremendous consequences for their family. Acts chapter 1. Now, Jesus is speaking about the kingdom of God in Acts chapter 1. And he is um, giving convincing proofs that he was alive. Verse 3, he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and he spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised. John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He says, it's not for you to know the dates or the times my father is set by his own authority. Verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes down on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so begins the book of Acts. Jesus was taken up before their very eyes. In verse 9, a cloud hid him from their sight, and Jesus is going to come back the same way he came. He rose into heaven. He's going to come back, and that's going to be the second coming, which has not happened yet. And so Matthias was chosen to replace Judas at the end of chapter 1 of Acts, and the Holy Spirit comes in Acts chapter 2. Now, remember I said after the season of Easter, we have the day of Pentecost, then we have the Sundays after Pentecost, or we use propers. And we are in proper six right now. So we are in the season of Pentecost, which is the second half of the church liturgical calendar, the church liturgical year. Pentecost is about chapter two. Jesus has been here for 40 days. He has given his instructions. He has spoken about the kingdom of God. He has uh, shared himself. He has given uh instructions to them to wait in the upper room. The Holy Spirit's now going to come upon you. And in chapter 2, the great second chapter of Acts, he is going to, um, he is going to fall upon them. Peter is going to be profoundly in, enabled to share the gospel with them, starting in verse 14. He is going to be quoting scriptures from the Old Testament. So he's going to tie the event of Pentecost with what was prophesied in the Old Testament, bring those together and talk about Jesus who was raised from the dead in verse 24, freeing him from the agony of death. God raised him from the dead because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on them. He says in verse 23, this man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. God has raised this Jesus to life in verse 32. We are all witnesses of this fact. Exalted the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. The Holy Spirit is pouring out this extraordinary move of God and now the Holy Spirit is going to come down upon them. He's going to 
speak to them. He's going to enable them. He's going to embolden them to share the gospel. And now they're going to go out and share the gospel. And that's been going on since the day of Pentecost. See, now Jesus leaving, he's not there anymore. So the Holy Spirit comes. He says it's in in John 14 and John 16 that this was going to happen. Go back and look at John 14 and John 16 when he talks about the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's going to come and he is going to give them the knowledge and understanding and revelation that is required and, of course, the authority and power that's required to share the gospel. Okay. With people. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. Verse 36, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. The people will cut to the heart. What should we do? Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you. We repent of our sins. We ask God to forgive us of our sins. I daily do that. I'm sure you do too. If you do not, I encourage you to do that. Lord, I am sorry for my sins. Please forgive me of my sins. Help me to turn away from my sins. Help me turn toward you. Help me to do the right things, the things that you've called me to do. We talked about that a lot in Deuteronomy and Proverbs, for example. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ so that your sins may be forgiven. So baptism is very important. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. This promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. This promise is for all of you, as God calls you. Hear the call of God, like Samuel. Samuel, Samuel, goes back to Eli. Samuel, Samuel, goes back to Eli. Samuel, Samuel. Eli says, I believe God's calling you. Say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And then that began that great relationship with Samuel and the Lord. So you, you and I want to hear the Lord speak to us. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship to the breaking of the bread, and to, for the prayers. This was a tremendous move of God. Verse 47, praised God, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So the Lord began a tremendous work, sent the Holy Spirit, raised Jesus from the dead, Jesus ascends into heaven. The Holy Spirit comes down, empowers them. The Lord adds the number. Tremendous things are happening in their midst. And then we have Acts 4.32 to 5.11. All the believers were one in heart and mind, very much like the end of uh, Acts chapter 2. No one claimed that any of his possessions were his own. They shared everything they had with great power. The apostles continued to testify the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and much grace was with them all. The grace of God was with them. With great power. Remember I told you that the Holy Spirit gave power? Testified to the resurrection of Jesus. So Jesus is resurrected with great power. They testified to it. The grace of God was with them. Can't get any better than that. Tremendous power of God. And then we have... Ananias Ananias and Sapphira in chapter 5, and they did not do what God says, and the Lord actually killed both of them. They lied. You have not lied to men, but to God. End of chapter 5, verse 4. And then Ananias heard this. He fell down and died. About three later, uh, hours later, his wife came in. 
How could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your uh, husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. And that moment she fell down at his feet and died. Great fear seized the church and all who heard these events. In verse 3, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you've lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received from the land? Both of them were put to death. They just died because they had lied to the Lord. And so great fear came against the, to the church. Remember we talked about the blessing in into two and then in, in 432, in 432. But when they went against the Lord and lied about the Lord, there was great consequence from the Lord toward them. Blessing, death. Remember last week, Deuteronomy? Life, death. Blessing, cursing. You want to go in this direction, not in this direction. We see it dramatically in chapter 5, 1 through 11, what you, should, you and I should not be doing. Let's continue on with Luke chapter 20. Enjoy those scriptures and acts. They are fantastic and very, very important for us. Chapter 20, remember he's going to Jerusalem. He, last week, he's now in Jerusalem. He's going to be with the Pharisees, Sadducees, teachers of the law, dealing with the people until he is finally put to death. They questioned his authority last week, and then he has the parable of the tenants, which is a strong indictment against Israel for killing the son in this extraordinary parable. The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone, verse 17. Everyone who falls in that stone will be broken to pieces. That turned out to be the Jews. But he on whom it falls will be crushed. The teachers of the law and the chief priests looked for a way to arrest him immediately because they knew they had spoken this parable against him. You and I want to fall on the stone. We do not want to be the ones the stone falls on. That actually is the right answer. The Israelites are crushed because the stone falls on them. I want to, I want to fall on Jesus and be broken. I don't want the stone to fall on me because of my pride and my arrogance and my hubris. Okay? Fall on the stone, folks. Let the Lord um, bring forgiveness to you by repenting, by putting yourself in a humble position, not in a proud one. Listen to the word of the Lord, as you will see in this fantastic parable of the vineyard, where they finally go and get the son and kill him in verse 15, and then the owner comes back and... The consequences are very serious. Chapter 20, uh, verses 19 to 26. The teachers of the law and the chief priests looked for a way to arrest him because they knew this parable was against him. They didn't like this at all. He gave them a way out, but they were afraid of the people, so they couldn't do anything about it. See, the people were the problem that prevented them from killing Jesus. Paying taxes to Caesar, the great paying taxes to Caesar, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's, or as I like to quote the King James, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God's the things that are God's. Remember, you can give what is Caesar's, folks, but make sure you give what is God's to God. The resurrection and marriage, this is kind of an interesting um, 
questioned. Some of the Sadducees who say there's no resurrection asked. Moses had brothers and all this kind of stuff. Very, very interesting um, scripture right there. They asked whose son is the Christ. They're testing him. They're asking him strange questions. Uh, what about paying taxes to Caesar? What about if the man had four brothers? Um, the, the Bible says this in, in the Psalms. Uh, what do you say? They're trying to trap him. They're trying to trap him. In chapter 21, he offers signs at the end of the age. Here's what's going to happen. Now, folks have been trying to figure out what's going to happen for years and years and years and years and years. What I say is, just be ready to meet the Lord and you'll be in great shape. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming. This is verse 27 of chapter 21. Coming in a cloud with power and great glory, when these things begin to take place, stand up and lift your heads because your redemption is drawing near. You want to be ready to meet the Lord. You want to be prepared. Be prepared. Be on the watch. Be ready for the coming of the Lord. So he shares with us his signs in 21, but quite frankly, they're really hard to determine if we are in that time or that time is in the future. Now, it has not happened yet because Jesus has not come back. That's called eschatology. Theological term is called eschatology, and that uh, is a whole different ballgame. Great scriptures in 1 Samuel, both positive and things to reflect about. Acts, the great move of God with the Holy Spirit, the ascension of Jesus at the right and sitting at the right hand of the Father now, seated at the right hand of the Father. And then as Jesus gets ready and prepares for his death, we have some great confrontations between Jesus and the Jewish leaders. Well, I hope that you have a wonderful, wonderful time of reading, of prayer, contemplation, repentance, and praise and worship of the Lord. God bless you abundantly, and we'll see you next week on the Daily Office Lectionary.